صباح الخير لكل أصدقائنا في في تونس وفي العالم العربي and everyone here in Washington. Um, please be aware that this is, as we often like to do at the Atlantic Council, a global conversation. We are webcasting live, and we are using Twitter in order to involve an audience really anywhere in the world, but particularly, we hope, in the Arab world and in Tunis to uh, participate in this conversation that we'll be having today. We are prepared to help with Arabic translation uh, in Twitter as well, and we will have um, live translation from Arabic to English and vice versa here in the audience. If you'll use your uh, headphones for those who don't know both languages, we have English on channel one and Arabic on channel two. And as I mentioned, uh, we, since we will be using Twitter, do not turn off your mobile phones. But do please put the uh, ringers on silent. The hashtag we will use is AC, as in Atlantic Council, Tunisia. Or is it Tunis? I'm sorry. AC Tunisia, I believe. Um, with that, it is a very special pleasure, and uh, what a privilege to be welcoming here to the Atlantic Council today Mr. Hussein Abbasi who's the head of the uh, General Trade Union of Tunisia, one of the four members of the uh, Nobel Prize-winning quartet that played a critical role in Tunisia's ongoing transition to uh, democracy that has done so much to strengthen Tunisian civil society and to put that country on the course to a, toward a future that the Tunisians themselves will, will decide for themselves. Nothing about it has been easy or will be easy, but when people uh, like those in the quartet take that burden on themselves and uh, exercise it so responsibly and with a spirit of service to their country, they have to succeed. And we at the Atlantic Council are, are very, very proud to have you with us today. Mr. Abbasi, thank you so much. Also with us and, and helping to make this possible very much is Ambassador Faisal Goya. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for coming. Also with your deputy here, Moez Mahmoudi, a good friend of ours here at the Atlantic Council. Um, thank you for both of your delegations and, and uh, the other diplomats in the room. I also especially would like to uh, thank the Global Fairness uh, Initiative under uh, President Danilo Turk, who will be speaking with us shortly. Uh, Karen Tramontana is here with her staff, and uh, Halima Gelman and Caleb Shreve, also of the Global Fairness Initiative, have been instrumental in helping to put this together, along with our team here at the Rafiq Hariri Center of the Atlantic Council. Karim Mezran is our senior fellow for North Africa, um, who follows events in Tunisia, in particular uh, with... with uh, great expertise and carefully, and Catherine Wolf ably assisting and, and helping to pull it all together and get us here today. So thanks to everyone who's been involved. I would like to uh, begin, and I should also say we have to uh, be very disciplined in our conversation here today. We will have our eminent speakers present a few words. I'll uh, interview Mr. Abbasi, and then we'll take comments and questions from everybody uh, from here in the room and from the global audience uh, via Twitter. We're also very honored here today to have a very senior representative of the United States of America, uh, a particular friend of mine from my own service uh, in the U.S. Foreign Service, one of our most senior career 
ambassadors of the service. And that's Ambassador Christy Kenny. She's serving at the moment as Senior Advisor to Secretary Kerry, and, um, and soon we'll have her title changed to an even more elevated one when the Senate does its thing on uh, uh, Ambassador Tom Shannon, who's uh, awaiting vote of the Senate, if I'm not mistaken, correct? So we'll see how that goes. With all that, why don't we uh, uh, begin, and why don't I ask Ambassador Kenny to uh, introduce our next two speakers. Good morning, everyone. It's a, a great privilege and pleasure to be here today for such a special event. I'd like to thank Ambassador Richard Oney, my good friend, for setting up the event for us. And I think it's very fitting that today's conversation takes place at the Atlantic Council. This is an institution that has dedicated itself to opening dialogue and creating space across nations, across cultures, across groups. And I think we'd all agree that that sort of institution makes a great difference in every democracy. So we're very pleased and proud this is here. I'm going to take us back for a minute and frame a little bit about why today's conversation is so incredibly important. The United States was one of the first countries to, represent, to recognize Tunisia back in 1956. Probably about half of you in the room don't remember 1956, but I guarantee everybody in the room remembers 2011, when the Jasmine Revolution came to Tunisia, sweeping transformation. That transformation was gripping and exciting, but not necessarily easy. A few years later, that transformation encountered difficulties, complications, really by 2013 throwing the entire transition and transformation in Tunisia into doubt. Into that opening stepped citizens. Mr. Hussein Abbasi and fellow citizens of the Tunisian National Dialogue Quartet stepped in. Voices of civil society dedicated and committed to their country and the transition to democracy. They brokered a solution, paved the way for the drafting of a constitution that is now seen as one of the most progressive in the Arab world. This is a signal and a sign, I think, for all of us. Every nation interested in democracy takes from this example the work that citizens and civil society play in letting their voices be heard and having the courage to not just be the citizen who sits at home and wishes things were different, but to be the citizen who steps up to make a difference. Today's honoree, honored, of course, with the quartet by the Nobel Peace Prize this year, has always served. He was a teacher. I particularly appreciate that. All of us here would not be where we were without our teachers. I'm also the daughter and granddaughter of public school teachers. But a teacher who went on to teach a nation and to teach the rest of the world of what civil society means and why it matters. So I thank all of you for your attention and your interest. But most of all, Mr. Bossi, we thank you for showing us that the voice of citizens makes a huge difference and for being a great beacon. I'll conclude by saying the United States' friendship with Tunisia has grown only stronger. These past few years, the transition and the transformation in Tunisia have been a beacon and a symbol. We've partnered to help improve education, security, 
prosperity, and will continue to do so. We cheer Tunisia. We applaud the citizens in Tunisia who are making a difference in that country and in the rest of the world. I'm very, very pleased to be followed here today by a man who has also made a great difference in the world. Former President of Slovenia, Turk, will now next speak and say a few more words about today's distinguished guest, Dr. Hussein Abbasi. President Turk. Thank you, Madam Ambassador. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's obviously a great privilege and honor to be invited to speak to introduce uh, a great leader, a great leader of an important transformation, Mr. Hussein Abbasi. And it's a great honor for somebody like me who has worked for the last few years uh, in the Global Fairness Initiative, an NGO based here in Washington, but working in a number of countries around the world for improving fairness and helping the poor to get their fair position in their development of their countries. Our organization has worked in Tunisia for about three or four years now, and we have worked especially in the context of Tunisia Inclusive Labor Initiative, which is a project that involves a number of Tunisian civil society organizations, unions, and others, to improve the situation of informal workers and to strengthen the uh, legal system so that the informality becomes less of a fundamental feature of economic development in the country. This is a long-term struggle, long-term project, but one which has demonstrated the important power that the civil society in Tunisia has. And it was in this context that we have had encounters, discussions with Mr. Abbasi in the past, and we have immediately recognized his great leadership, his strong commitment, the fact that he has been a lifelong leader of a very well-established union in Tunisia, something that has an extremely important role in the entire process of transformation in the country. This has been a feature which is now globally recognized by the Nobel Peace Prize. But I would like to say that Global Fairness Initiative, even before the Nobel Committee has come to a decision, has decided to uh, recognize special importance of Mr. Abbasi and uh, awarded him with Global Fairness Award uh, in a ceremony which took place two days ago here in Washington. This also allowed us to arrange for a number of meetings, and today's meeting is probably one of the most important meetings because it does give opportunity to a larger group of interested individuals, policy makers, and opinion makers to interact with Mr. Abbasi, which is something that will happen in a few minutes from now. But before concluding, I would like to say a word or two also in my capacity as former president of the Republic of Slovenia, which is also one of the countries of transition, one coming from Central Europe or Eastern Europe, and one which has been, like Tunisia, seen as a successful case of transition. And we have learned in our experience that transition is a very long process, a very demanding process. We were very proud in 1991 where we established a new constitutional framework for our development. 
But very soon after, we had to deal with very demanding political tasks, such as creation of coalitions in an electoral system which is proportional in nature. And obviously, the experience of making coalitions and leading coalitions has been one of the more difficult political experiences. We have also realized that economic transformation takes time. Now, Slovenia has been fortunate in many respects, and our economic problems are not so deep. But still, we realize that there is a need for a great deal of patience in the economic transformation, in balancing the necessary um, discipline or necessary, necessary system uh, in the domain of public finance, managing the public spending in an appropriate manner, and at the same time guaranteeing good economic future to people, to all people in the country. Now, this, of course, are very demanding tasks, and some of which Mr. Abbasi knows more probably than anybody else in this room. So, I would like to conclude here and say we are very privileged to have a leader of this format among us, and we look forward to hear from him about the experience of Tunisia and about his expectations for the future of the country and for the support of the entire international community to the transformation in Tunisia. So, Mr. Abbasi, you are kindly asked to take the floor and speak to the participants. As you notice, I'm uh, rather short. Uh, good morning, everybody. First of all, in this uh, wonderful occasion to that where I can gather with all of you uh, in this uh, center, uh, the Atlantic Council, and uh, particularly the Tawfiq Hariri uh, Center for this uh, invitation that I received on the occasion of my visit to the United States of America and in Washington, D.C. in particular to uh, receive the award that was given to me in recognition of uh, the efforts that I exerted in the social uh, field and not uh, only uh, or not necessarily in the national political fields and I was extremely happy to be here and I received the award uh, two days ago, uh, I received this award in a beautiful reception, very warm reception, and I thank uh, all the uh, leaders and staff of uh, Global uh, Fairness Initiative for their recognition and for the acknowledgement of the work of uh, the Tunisian Labor Union Federation, and I also thank the people who organized this uh, 
this gathering and uh, all uh, the speakers that preceded me for the kind words and the introduction and the touching uh, words that they have said and I think that uh, there was some exaggeration uh, of what we've done uh, I think that whatever we have done no matter how important uh, is really does not deserve all uh, this much uh, uh, gratitude uh, before talking about the experiment that we have embarked into with other uh, parties of the uh, civil society, let me first of all uh, very quickly remind everybody, or let me at least give a little background about the organization uh, whom uh, I have the honor to lead right now in uh, different historic moments in Tunisia. The union, the labor union, is obviously a uh, syndical, uh, and uh, anybody that thinks labor union thinks that it is an organization that uh, works to advocate for the workers and their social welfare. This is the logical, conventional role of a union. However, what is the specificity of uh, the Tunisian Labour Federation uh, uh, since it was established uh, in uh, January 20th, 1946, and next year we're going to be celebrating the 70th anniversary of the establishment of our great organization. So the founding, uh, the founders uh, took upon themselves that this organization is not going to limit itself to the social advocacy for labor, but also for any uh, needs that the national community, that the society, that the country would need at any point. Uh, the uh, union was present, was a leader in uh, the uh, struggle for independence. Uh, when the French colonial power uh, imprisoned and uh, sent into exile a number of political leaders, the uh, Union, the Tunisian Union, uh, replaced uh, that, uh, 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 filled that vacuum. Uh, therefore, it uh, uh, gathered both uh, uh, both roles. Uh, the, our founding leader, Farhat Hashed, who was assassinated in February 1952, at that time he was not only uh, advocating for social uh, problems and social issues, but he was also uh, 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 struggling and working and fighting for the independence of the country, and he had uh, many serious fights against the colonials, uh, the colonial French. There were uh, uh, a lot of casualties and victims in Enfida and even uh, uh, many decades after uh, many years after the founding of uh, the uh, the union uh, in uh, in Sfax for example 31 martyrs were killed and more than 300 wounded and at least 3,000 workers were fired from their job at that time of course the population was very limited and its economy uh, was uh, not that uh, that big 
than Anfida uh, events also were uh, bloody so that the uh, colonial powers uh, saw that uh, that particular leader Farhat Hashed uh, needs to be taken out of the picture not because he was fighting for the rights of workers but he was uh, representing the, the the struggle of all a nation for, for all his nation uh, uh, the uh, therefore, this organization throughout its life has always linked between the social and the national issues, but uh, uh, not in a political sense. We obviously pay attention to the national needs, and every time we see that the country is in need of uh, intervention, every time we see that there are major threats uh, or a, a, a major uh, fracturing or division within the society, we uh, sometimes have the capacity to, over, to, uh, to see, to foresee the threats and therefore we try to bring uh, the people, the different parties together and force dialogue. It is not easy to do, uh, to play this role. Uh, the powers obviously uh, all hate to have a strong uh, labor union or a strong civil society all the various governments uh, since the independence uh, to, uh, to, to date uh, worked to debilitate this uh, organization our organization to uh, reduce or uh, limit uh, its uh, independence and uh, uh, limit its, sco its scope uh, there has been always uh, a struggle and tension between the UGTT and the various uh, powers and governments of Tunisia. In our history, of course, is not all rosy. On the contrary, this uh, insisting or this insistence of our organization to be uh, part of the national uh, dialogue um, um, led to a various uh, uh, crisis in 1965, in 19, uh, uh, on January 26, 1978, and after that, the crisis in 1986. Uh, so, throughout our history, there have been these uh, struggles and wars to keep our uh, independence, the national uh, dialogue and the national discussion uh, so um, everybody is convinced that this union has the right to uh, combine the two but uh, not at all times only when it is needed the Tunisian labor union since the beginning of the revolution uh, noticed the threat uh, coming that uh, the social explosion was about to come in our uh, department of research we've conducted a number of research on the cities in uh, um, uh, in the interior of the country and we've uh, uh, did a lot of work on uh, the uh, unbalance and uh, that the growth or the supposed growth uh, over the years has never been translated into real development and in, uh, in, in, uh, in increase in, in employment and jobs. So even before the revolution, we have been conducting uh, these uh, 
researches uh, four years before the revolution about Sidi Bouzid itself where the revolution spark started and we've been uh, calling everybody's attention that uh, the uh, injustice that the lack of uh, justice of fairness in the econo economy and the development that this was a time bomb and that was going to explode uh, immediately we've noticed uh, uh, it's going to be troublesome in Gafsa, in Kef, all these regions that have been deprived from any development and who are living a great imbalance and injustice in terms of economy and in social uh, welfare. Unfortunately, the government of Ben Ali never uh, heeded what, we've say, what we were saying and we've organized uh, different forums to uh, uh, and con conferences to talk about this um, uh, in vain, unfortunately. Uh, we, uh, that's what led the youth to take to the streets. Uh, that's what happened at the end of 2010, and we all know what happened. Of course, we have had a role. Of course, we're not going to claim that uh, we have started or the revolution. We have, uh, in a way, set the groundwork for it. Uh, and the civil society, uh, even limited at that time, uh, had had a role. But the uh, organization that had presence throughout the country was our union. We... Uh, helped or we galvanized uh, those youth in the regions, uh, in the interiors, we uh, galvanized the protests, the, uh, uh, the uh, rallies, and uh, after that another phase, this second plan, which was to help these uh, street movements, we turned them, uh, we involved the workers uh, in uh, uh, the greater region of Tunis, uh, the January 14th, uh, the uh, strike uh, that led to the Ben Ali fleeing the country. Uh, ben Ali fled, actually, and he never left a constitution that would uh, avoid the vacuum. Uh, he left without any provisions of the constitution on who steps in to fill that vacuum. Uh, so there were a period of uh, great fear. The institutions uh, were dismantled. Uh, the government uh, fell apart, the parliament was shut down, so, uh, of course, we stepped in at that time, not, all, not on our own, but we led the civil society at that point. The uh, real uh, civil society associations uh, were very limited, really, were a handful. There were thousands of, of them, obviously, on the books, but most of them were uh, just cosmetics, uh, and they were at the payroll of the dictatorship. Uh, and so uh, a number of uh, organizations that were part of us uh, with the quartet, two organizations, uh, the uh, Tunisian um, Bar Association and the another two of them uh, that uh, stood with us in uh, throughout the various crises that I talked about. Of course, the first invitation 
or the first call, we called these smaller associations of the civil society, but we did not exclude the, some of the political parties, those who were official during the Ben Ali, but obviously there are a number of uh, fictitious political parties at that time. We uh, did not invite them, but we invited those parties who were legally recognized, but also had some representation in the society. And we started uh, in the first meeting, as I remember, there were like nine people, uh, uh, some of the civil society and some of the political parties. And uh, then we became 13, then 19, then 21. And then at that point we saw to set a committee to protect the revolution, but also to reinforce uh, the continuity of the state and its institutions, but we also felt the need to find a way out, a, a legislative way out or a legal way out, uh, and uh, to go to the elections, uh, uh, the election of a constituent assembly to uh, draft a new constitution because the previous constitution was completely destroyed by the number of, uh, uh, of weird and unacceptable amendments. Uh, uh, it was a, almost a constitution um, prefabricated to uphold the, democ the, uh, the dictatorship and the tyranny, and it was not in favor of the people. So at that, in that very short time, we had to establish uh, uh, we established an institution that was that was a, a small uh, uh, organization uh, that uh, would fill the vacuum because we uh, needed uh, a legislative power so that uh, committee of course was not elected but it was based on consensus between the civil society and some of the political parties who were there and uh, the political parties and the social forces the civil society was there or were there and uh, in less than a year it played a the role of preparing some draft laws needed by the country and uh, then we uh, would uh, take that to the provisional president uh, so that the president was of course uh, governing the country through uh, executive orders and we were then uh, very worried about uh, uh, securing the continuity of the state. Uh, when we, uh, that phase was over, uh, there was the election of the Constituent Assembly, it became the only uh, institution elected by the people. Uh, uh, formed a government, a government of the Troika, uh, that was uh, composed of three uh, parties at that time, and things started working. So the Constituent Assembly was a main institution. Its main role was to draft the Constitution, but at that time it was overburdened 
uh, with a number of other roles. So the constituent cons constituent assembly, right, drafting the constitution, but it became acting as a parliament, as a legislative body. And during that period, that transition period, uh, of course there are too many detail details that we can't cover here, uh, crisis uh, started, uh, uh, tensions and uh, frictions uh, uh, within the society, and that uh, led to the beginning of violence, verbal violence, uh, threats, and then uh, terrorism uh, uh, accidents, and you know, uh, just before that, there were a few associations uh, or uh, gangs that uh, really uh, broke the law, they aggressed everybody on artists, on comedians, on uh, other events, and our own uh, labor union uh, came under such attacks uh, when we had a strike of four years. Uh, for the municipal workers and as we were preparing to commemorate a, an important uh, day which was the day of the assassination of the assassination of our <coughs> founding leader uh, on December 5th so the plan was for the rally to uh, walk from the um, headquarters of our union to the burial uh, sanctuary of uh, Farhat Hashed and uh, we've came under attack from uh, gangs of uh, terrorists who wanted to occupy our headquarters and we said at that point uh, when uh, it turned in, turned into uh, political assassination. Uh, our young political leader, Shukri Bulaid, and a, a couple of months later, uh, uh, Muhammad Brahmi. Uh, so these uh, two acts of violence uh, uh, were also accompanied by a number of killings of uh, our armed member of our armed forces of our police. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you have. Uh, uh, remind me of the time because I tend to talk too much uh, at that point uh, at that decisive moment of our country and before getting to the political assassina assassinations we've warned that the threat is real that terrorism is really looming on us and that it is starting to take shape so all Tunisians please come let's sit around the table let's start a national dialogue that would prevent these oncoming threats of terrorism and violence many uh, responded positively unfortunately some political parties did not want to be part of this national dialogue but uh, uh, despite that in 2012 at the initiative of our uh, labor union uh, we added the uh, human rights organization and the uh, bar association 
but that led to a second assassination, and there was another uh, many attempts to uh, bring down, uh, to obstruct uh, this uh, initiative. Uh, they all failed. After the second assassination, we launched a second initi initiative, and we told the Tunisian, "Have you see what happens if you don't heed the call for the first initiative for national dialogue? Uh, the second initiative, of course, there were obstructions, obstructionists, uh, uh, the national dialogue of, uh, in uh, its uh, public and on the record meetings, 167 hours, but the behind the uh, behind uh, the curtain uh, work and informal and negotiations and bilateral negotiations was thousands and thousands of hours uh, to prepare the public uh, the public those public events uh, were all ironed out um, the second initiative um, of course we added the fourth uh, member which was the association of uh, of uh, employers or uh, uh, of uh, business owners uh, it was important for us to rely on or to be ready for a plan B in case it fails and what if those many parties who were not serious about the dialogue it was important for us to we we we've put all the burden on our leadership uh, at the union uh, organization and all those who believe in uh, arriving to a modern democratic tunisia so the plan b was out of reach for anybody except for the union so through protests and very loud rallies who uh, uh, pointed the finger to those parties who were not serious, who were being hypocritical with the national dialogue, who did not want it to, to succeed, and that had a, an important impact on all those who were reluctant. And I, this occasion, I would like to say that the objective or the goal was not to achieve what we have achieved but we don't want to be claiming heroism here it's uh, what I want to say that we were able to raise the awareness among the public uh, in general the, uh, the civil society and uh, the political parties because at a certain point they were able to overcome partisanship and many paid a huge price in the coming in the elections that came right after so many parties uh, paid with their own existence uh, others uh, came up uh, so if they were not uh, responsive to us the dialogue would have never succeeded and I, we would have never been able to talk about this exception uh, or exceptional success of Tunisia uh, I'd like to uh, recognize the efforts of all those who are not in the picture right now because they gave precedence to the national interest rather than the partisanship uh, that would led uh, what led us to elections 
uh, now we have a a parliament that is representative of the people, of the different tendencies. We have an elected president and we are now finishing the necessary institutions, the uh, con uh, constitutional institutions, so that uh, we really finish uh, building this uh, democratic, progressive, democratic uh, state that we want to be a uh, beacon in our region. Unfortunately, all other countries that went through revolution and uh, whose youth and whose men and women uh, had so many ambitions about the revolutions, unfortunately, those revolutions turned uh, to... Uh, uh, to anger uh, in most cases and you see what happened in Yemen, in Syria, in Libya and other, uh, other Arab countries. I'd like to uh, say that this effort uh, that uh, led to the Nobel Peace Prize Award uh, uh, contains a number of messages. First of all, to the labor unions and trade unions that they have an important role, they advocate for workers and employees, but they also have to be part in the national dialogue and to be a balancing element in uh, societies. Uh, uh, I think uh, one of the members of the quartet that has been awarded, because uh, this award is not to the uh, union, but to the unions of the world, of the labor unions of the world, that it is now perceived as a force that can help uh, its uh, nations and uh, uh, bringing about peace and consensus. The second message to all civil society forces, if uh, they are really represented and if they really believe in the national uh, in the national interest, they can uh, play a role in tipping the balances or to uh, to uh, uh, in favor of the interest of the society. Uh, it is also a message to the civil society not to compartmentalize the vision through very specific committees and perspectives, uh, each one duplicating the work of others. Um, it is important to gather uh, the efforts and to uh, join in uh, coalitions. Uh, the other uh, point is that uh, we are we have played a part and that we played a part in bringing about peace. We are in a region that is uh, undergoing a lot of imbalance, a lot of instability and a lot of tension. Uh, we tell them that weapons are not the solution. Uh, re look at all the revolutions. Even if they were armed at some point, I think that even at the end of the weapons and violence, uh, dialogue is uh, going to be necessary at some point. So uh, why not start with dialogue if it's uh, inevitable? So after uh, uh, just look at what happened in Somalia, for example, in terms of failing of a state, and what can, and that can happen anywhere, and particularly in the Arab uh, uh, countries uh, that are under this kind of threat. I'd like also to send a message to the world to the superpowers to help the civil society to let 
to leave space uh, and to listen to these uh, civil society members and to the labor unions because the labor unions have proven that uh, they can play major national roles so it is a message also to the people who fight and advocate for peace there is a lot of tension in the Arab region and elsewhere that uh, uh, these superpowers major powers need to think deeply and work very seriously to combat terrorism because terrorism is now has now become a, a challenge that uh, no single country can address on its own uh, because uh, terrorism has uh, become globalized and uh, terrorism has no boundaries. Uh, it thrives on insecurity, it thrives on instability, it thrives on chaos. So it has to be addressed uh, internationally. Inter uh, terrorism uh, was uh, attacked New York, Paris, Spain, Tunisia, and still has a long list of targets. So fighting terrorism, it cannot be localized uh, as it has to be uh, done at the international level. I'd like also to say that in the Arab region that it also needs a number of dialogues just like the one we've conducted in Tunisia to solve its problems, but uh, you have to be confident that there will be no stability in the Arab region before addressing the Palestinian question. The Palestinian, Palestinian uh, the people are asking to implement the international legitimacy. Uh, the, is, this question is uh, being forgotten, and I am surprised that in the uh, General Assembly of the United ne Nations in its last session, uh, the major powers in their speeches there was a total absence of any mention to the Palestinian or to any solution. Unfortunately, the major countries, nobody ever mentioned the Palestinian question, not even in one sentence. So, be sure that there will be no stability in the Arab world without finding a solution to that question. Our message is to the world is that humanity can uh, live in peace, stability can be brought about, there is no uh, security without social stability. Uh, social stability is the basis for security. So if there are advocates for this, we, we see parties and governments uh, some support, but we also, the civil society, need to put all the pressure uh, to change uh, the status quo. Uh, lastly, I want to say that my country, Tunisia, today, after what happened, after the success of the national dialogue, and after uh, starting to build the democratic country, still needs a lot of support, a lot of help from its friends and, uh, and brothers and sisters, and we don't want people to forget about us. Uh, not to be understood what I'm saying that uh, we are asking for charity. We are just saying that 
We ask people to be patient. We might reschedule some loans, knowing that Tunisia has always kept its word in terms of paying back its, uh, its debt. But we're going through dire economic situation, and uh, we need to find that uh, equitable equation between what is needed and uh, the uh, necessities of uh, the country uh, socially and economically. If uh, anybody really uh, pays uh, or has any, uh, any importance to the democratic uh, transition. So let's say, let's uh, preserve this uh, flowering rose uh, in the Arab region, if it uh, makes it, uh, then it will uh, send positive messages and be a model uh, for the rest of the countries uh, in, the, in the region. And uh, let's be sure that if this experiment fails, I know what will happen, but just to be positive, what will happen uh, will be unbearable to the Arab region or any uh, part of the world. As you say, as you can see today, if the world does not stand together to fight terrorism, if today major powers and superpowers, they're not going to find that link between economic stability and security, there will be, there will be no social uh, social uh, peace. I met with uh, President uh, Trumpka of the AFL-CIO and he said that the injustice uh, uh, going through in, uh, 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 in uh, the United States that the rate of uh, suicide among workers, uh, American workers and empl employees and salaried people is uh, higher than ever so we have to uh, uh, call on the international uh, financial institutions we agree with them that we want stronger economy, we want obviously corporations that are successful, that uh, have production, productivity and, ben and, and, and uh, 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 returns, uh, but there is a social uh, phenomenon uh, that we have to salute, the World Bank, but uh, the uh, IMF, which was against even sitting together and sitting at the same table with labor unions. Today, at least, we have seen a slight change in that attitude. These meetings are, are not as positive as we think, but uh, these are uh, timid uh, steps, and uh, we all know that uh, uh, the 10-mile uh, race starts with uh, one uh, step, and uh, we hope that uh, the people believe in the labor union movement and in the possibility of uh, playing a major role. I, I'm sorry if I, I, I spoke uh, for too long, and I'm going to look forward now to uh, questions and interaction, and I'll do my best to answer them. Thank you very much for your attention, and uh, thank you. Thank you. 
Mr. Abbasi for these uh, wonderful words. Powerfully on the role of civil society. Your messages to the outer world, to the great powers, were also very clear and powerful, I thought. I'd like to follow up, if I may, on that particular message. I was an American diplomat. We had Ambassador Kenny here, one of our foremost diplomats from the United States government. I know many Americans in government and outside wish we could find ways uh, to be more effective in promoting civil society, uh, democracy, human rights, at the very least to do no harm, but more than that, to help advance uh, progressive voices and forces throughout uh, the societies that find themselves in conflict and without the tools to resolve their conflicts in peaceful, lawful, democratic ways. So I would ask you, if I were the new American ambassador to Tunisia, for example, I hope you will meet Mr. Rubenstein very soon upon your return. How can foreigners... How can Americans, Europeans, diplomats of other Arab countries, representatives of other great powers, how can we, in an appropriate and respectful way, give voice to visionaries in your society? How can we do that in a way that does not cross the limits of... Uh, of rejection, the limits of propriety that cause rejection of the support. It's a very tricky thing to get right. For example, we at the Atlantic Council are glad to welcome you here, give you a platform to speak with America, and back with your own country. What more specifically do you want Americans to do to support civil society in your country? وأنت وأنت تفكر في ذلك فسأذكر الحضور نحن نستخدم هاشتاج إيسي تونسيا للمشاركة بالأسئلة عبر تويتر. Thank you, Ambassador. There's actually a number of questions or two questions at least, not one. The first one is about the new ambassador in Tunisia, and by the way. 
ambassadors are representatives uh, between states, but they are also, we at uh, the labor union, we've always been open to meet with anybody who seeks to meet with us and talk about any issue that wanted to be talked about. We don't have any rejection or reluctance to talk to anybody. We listen, we discuss. If it is about something that can be of interest to our people, to our society, to our nation, we'll definitely applaud and support. In some cases, we might have different points of view uh, regarding uh, some uh, particulars or details. Everybody has the right and the opportunity to explain why you receive, you accept this and reject uh, uh, something else. We are not closed to anything. We have been uh, always open to uh, foreign representatives of their countries, the ambassadors or otherwise. Uh, at least uh, every on a weekly basis we receive two, three, maybe four ambassadors and these dialogues and these meetings uh, take place in our headquarters every time, but obviously with respect of our specificity, we do not interfere in their business, and any time we perceive that there is some uh, uh, meddling in our affairs, we let uh, the other party know. Uh, obviously, many people wanted to support the national dialogue. It was being held under economic and social uh, circumstances that were uh, very difficult in the country, and we used to tell people that uh, any economic help uh, was welcome so that the country can uh, sustain itself and uh, the development uh, can uh, continue, but we told them that the dialogue was internal and we had the capacity, we had the expertise, the knowledge, uh, the experience. These are national uh, a national uh, domestic matter uh, that uh, we'll be able to deal with it uh, on our own, but we cannot do without uh, support um, in terms of what our country needs. Uh, the previous uh, ambassador uh, 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 came to um, to the UGTT a number of times. Our doors have always been open and will remain open, and we discussed with him, and we're open to anybody's point of view. Of course, uh, today here, of course, uh, has some government um, uh, representatives, uh, and that's why I said what I said, but... Uh, uh, rest assured that uh, I say the same thing uh, everywhere I go, uh, never change, I never cater my uh, discourse. Uh, what I said in front of you, I also said to leaders, to governments, to the U.S. government representatives, and we count on your support, on the U.S. government support uh, in terms of uh, security, in terms of uh, ec economy. Of course, it's a major uh, country, it's a superpower. Other major countries also need to intervene in fighting terrorism. I told them to be patient, don't treat Tunisia as a stable 
uh, economically and security uh, country because they're asking us to start to embark immediately in major reforms that reforms uh, uh, that uh, are uh, needed now are the reforms in the economical sector but that need to take into consideration the social uh, situation and the social needs that uh, reforms and the models need to be uh, need need to be uh, born um, from within this the country and it is not possible to uh, put all this pressure so that in this such short period of time we accomplish these reforms but please talk to us as a country in transition that is still looking for uh, reviving its economy so please be patient and that the failures or, or uh, maybe what we cannot reach in 2015 we will reach at uh, the end of 2016 or maybe 2017 what we've also said that we are uh, have been uh, now establishing a plan to reach uh, social stability in the country uh, so not only that, but uh, to be able to focus our attention to uh, discussing the major pillars of the economy, the uh, development model that created growth without creating development, uh, that uh, uh, created uh, resources to the country but uh, did not go to equitable distribution. We need fiscal reform. And we've started uh, some, the, some of these reforms, and some of the positive uh, impacts uh, started to be seen, but uh, we think that 2016 will be done with the fiscal reform, because it is practically the first uh, pillar uh, for correcting and, uh, the uh, shortcomings of uh, uh, the uh, uh, national resources, and the, uh, we need the labor uh, laws to be reformed, uh, the investment uh, laws to uh, to be reformed, and so a number of issues that we ha we are already talking about. We have another uh, particular challenge that, that the, by the end of 2016, if uh, this social stability is guaranteed, that we count on a revival, an economic revival that would increase the great growth rate. Uh, maybe our hope is one, uh, 1.5 to 2 percent, despite the very negative impacts uh, of impact of the two terrorist attacks uh, that took place in uh, Bardo, the museum, and in one of the tourist resorts in Tunisia that uh, really gave a strong blow, which was the spine of uh, our economy. Tourism is the spine of our economy, uh, so we have a lot of work to do. We have to increase our production, we have to increase the efficacy of our productivity. Uh, to reach, uh, by the end of 2016, 1.5 to 2% of growth rate. Uh, we have a security challenge as we conducted a national dialogue to find a solution to the political uh, deadlock. Uh, we're also working to bring everybody together to stand together uh, in, in the face of terrorism, but obviously na national dialogue cannot uh, resolve security threats, 
that's the armed forces, that's the police forces, but at least they have to be at least relying on a, a society that is standing with them uh, uh, to reach uh, the security. We've asked uh, the major countries, the United States, the United States official, officials, for tourism to start again in Tunisia is not just we not enough to say that uh, tourism is great in Tunisia or or uh, let's uh, work with uh, tour operators uh, that's not the point uh, what matters is or are the political decisions a number of major countries um, to issue uh, warnings uh, or travel warnings um, our diplomacy in Tunisia needs to start talking about with these countries to lift those uh, travel bans or travel warnings who hurt our country we are taking all precautions to uh, protect tourists uh, in all our resorts and in all our uh, the, the places where they can go many countries have uh, reviewed their decision and retracted the warning or the ban like uh, Sweden some um, uh, countries um, uh, so we've started to see the effects of uh, lifting those bans, but a number of other countries maintain the bans and the warnings. So maybe this is one of the messages I, I want to transmit. Uh, in terms of uh, the American support to the uh, to the civil society, I was not very clear on the, the question, how can the government help the social society? Uh, uh, it might, uh, the U.S. government might need uh, maybe some programs for uh, building capacity, but I think that uh, the civil society in Tunisia, of course, is quite uh, active. We need economic uh, help, we need help to the tourism sector, uh, more than we need more social security, uh, social, um, civil society, uh, freedom of uh, uh, the press is quite doing quite well, the slogans and the ambitions of the revolution were job, freedom and uh, social uh, justice. Freedom has been accomplished. Of course, we need to stay vigilant, but we are confident that the civil society today in our uh, country has a lot of uh, capability and is paying a very close, uh, very close attention to re, uh, uh, to what's going on. And it will. The civil society will protect this transition process when there are deviations or backpedaling. I'd like to permit at least one uh, response or a question. I'm going to ask Mohammed whether you received something uh, by Twitter, or should we just rely on the audience that is here? Let us do that then. Uh, and then we'll have to be very brief. It has to be a question, I'm afraid, and not a speech, because we'll simply run out of time. Sir, and then we'll see if that lady there. And please state your name and any association.
Thank you. Monji Dawadi uh, from the Center for the Study of Islam and Democracy. My question is, uh, many say that Tunisia right now needs another national dialogue on the economics. Um, in that dialogue, I'm assuming the UGTT will be a participant. It will not be a facilitator. Uh, who would you think would facilitate such a role? And is the UGTT, if it's part of that dialogue, willing to make the necessary concessions to make the economic dialogue a success? And I'm afraid we have a barely, we're actually 10 minutes over, so a very short response. Please. Uh, this is a very important question. Tunis, uh, Tunisia needs dialogue to stand together against terrorism. It also needs a dialogue about economy. Of course, the dialogue about economy, we cannot tell these four members of the quartet uh, maybe the human rights uh, organizations we cannot uh, obviously be a call for this uh, uh, this uh, kind of uh, dialogue because we are a party in this in these tensions in this in this conflict and we despite the obvious and objective contradictions between us and the uh, business associations uh, we cannot obviously call for this initiative and uh, the business uh, Tunisian business association cannot either uh, call for this initi initiative they uh, we talked uh, talked about this uh, before and an initiative that they had started uh, I told them that it was a stillborn because someone who is a party in a conflict cannot uh, be neutral enough in terms of uh, uh, their own interests. So, of course, we don't reject the idea of dialogue, but just to let you know, we don't need such uh, a dialogue uh, uh, because we've uh, uh, signed a social pact uh, and five committees worked on this social pact. One of them uh, is especially focusing on uh, social dialogue. We've presented a draft law that was given to the cabinet uh, uh, council that was adopted and it's now being reviewed by the parliament. So the, for the first time we're going to institutionalize this social dialogue in our country. Uh, so it uh, uh, includes the uh, business uh, owners uh, and the representative of the labor movement and the representative of the government. And this law will also uh, include anybody, any stakeholders in the economy or in the social uh, sectors. We don't need anybody to start an initiative like this. 
uh, we might can only think that the human rights organization is the only one that is not a real stakeholder in, in, in the economy or in the social sector uh, can be partial enough to uh, uh, to organize but we really don't need it uh, at this point uh, this draft law is at the uh, in the Parliament right now it will be adopted hopefully before the end of this uh, of this year and there will be this institution where the social parties or the social stakeholders will be able to sit down and resolve all the issues um, within this framework uh, this institutional framework in the direction the in, in terms of bringing about the economic revival that we all need as they say in, uh, in Egypt. I'm afraid that, uh, we've run out of time. Uh, we've gone over time. Your words have been so interesting. Perhaps uh, if there are other uh, comments or questions, you might be willing to stay and, and speak with some people individually. I don't want anyone to feel disappointed to the extent you can save us more time. But we must uh, close this program. We're busy here at the Atlantic Council and there will be other programs to follow here today. We are so honored, sir, that you joined us. Thank you very much. Uh, you've enlightened us all and we wish you great success in the rest of your program in Washington.